have your sports curiosity cured. Bucks sports free. Nugent Hopkins boxes out two on two. McDavid with Hyman. Looking. McDavid. Can't fell out. Shot score. A veteran of the sports reporting game for over 25 years. Rebound, Bryson. Cut it back. Big David, beautiful pass. Backhand score. Zach Hyman. What a look for Connor McDavid for point nine hundred. Hyman's 22nd, and it's 2-0 Edmonton. Breaking down Edmonton's favorite teams. ever be that flyer team again. In that regard. McDavid walks in. Feathers in front. Reshot score upstairs. Nugent Hopkins, his second of the night. And McDavid has a five-point game. Oilers have blown this one open. 5-2. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. Saul, 83 for January 4th. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Thanks for tuning in on your radio dial on 1440.ca, on the many apps that we offer. Really appreciate you tuning in this morning. We've got a jam-packed show once again. And does it ever feel weird? Normally on this day, not necessarily the Thursday, but how the World Junior Championship shakes down you know the couple of days after the new year this is the semifinals the this is the semifinal day and it just feels so weird not to have canada in the semifinals uh, after losing to check uh, the other day, just uh, still a bit of a, a shocker, stunner, and uh, Czech will uh, take on Sweden. And that's coming up in just a, a few minutes here. Uh, we will keep tabs on that game. Finland and USA in the other World Junior semifinal. By the way, Germany just defeated Norway 5-4 in overtime. So Germany will advance to next year uh, when the World Juniors are in Ottawa. Norway will be relegated unfortunately, but Germany will stick around and uh, play with the big boys next year in Ottawa. So this time of the year, too, you normally have a lot of uh, NHL games, but it seems there's either 12 or 13 games one night, only two games the next night, and that's the case last night and the case tonight. Uh, A whole whack of games this evening, but just two last night. But, boy, we were sort of treated to a doozy of a game out in uh, Anaheim last night with the Toronto Maple Leafs beating the Ducks by a score of 2-1 to in overtime, only because of the play of Anaheim goaltender Lucas Dostal, who made 55 saves. He was under siege all game. It was just a matter of time, it seemed, uh, the way the Leafs were putting pressure on the Ducks and Dostal. And the Ducks had several guys out uh, with injury, illness, uh, yada, yada. But, I mean, uh, Anaheim was just hanging on. You thought maybe they could, but five, six minutes left. John Tavares scored to tie the game. And then Austin Matthews with his 30th of the year. And first game winner of the year, that sounds very weird. That would be his first game winner of the year. Uh, Gives the Leafs a 2-1 victory. Oilers, with the day off yesterday, will be back in action this Saturday when Ottawa visits Rogers Place. Uh, Today, the Oilers will be on the practice surface at Rogers Place. 
And then tonight, it's the skills competition. If you've ever had the chance to go to the skills competition, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a relaxing atmosphere. The players are having fun with the fans. The fans have a chance to kind of see the players with their guard down a little bit with the smiles and everything. I mean, if you remember last year, I think Cody Cece had his dog on the ice and the dog was just zipping down, you know, it was almost like a runway carpet. It was a lot of fun to, to watch. And the most important part of this, uh, the tickets are 15 bucks and proceeds from the skills competition go to the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation. So that's tonight at Rogers Place, 7 o'clock. If you want to check it out, uh, it's a lot of fun. The the fans get into it. The players get into it. You see, you know, Connor McDavid will be the, long, the fastest skater. Ryan Nugent Hopkins usually wins the accuracy shooting. You've got other little events. And it's, it's just a good night where the team and the fans can kind of get together a little bit. Text line open, 1-833-401-1440. The Stair Farmer checks in with his daily roll call. Good morning, boys. Have a good show. Go Oilers. Go. Um, a lot of texts coming in yesterday. We're going to get to a lot of those that we didn't get to because we had a little couple of problems and things like that. The one thing that I wanted to talk about off the hop because the Oilers have been off, any Oiler fans, could you text in if you were at Northlands Coliseum 40 years ago tonight. That would make you one of our older listeners, obviously. But if you were at Northlands Coliseum 40 years ago tonight, you saw the Oilers beat the Minnesota North Stars by a score of 12-8. 12-8, the highest scoring game in modern day NHL history. Grant Fear was in goal. Too bad we didn't have Fierzy on today. <laughs> He led in eight goals, but won the game. <laughs> That's all he cares about was wins. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, I believe, had eight points. The The scoring, I mean, there were seven goals in the first period. You're thinking, well, okay, it's obviously going to be a shootout. They open it up in the second, and I mean, like 10 goals or something like that, and then just four in the uh, third period. But... <laughs> the amount of goals that were going in that night, just insane. It would have been, you know, if you're scoring 20 goals, that's a goal every three minutes. Just crazy. Uh, text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Where are you at that game? Another question I got for our listeners today. What would be with Canada not playing today? What would be one of your top world junior Canadian moments? I mean, I think most people would go to Jordan Eberle in 2009. The Duke of Delburn, let's uh, give you that question right off the hop. Is that would, be, would that be just because of the time frame and you'd be just a wee lad? You'd be about, what, 13 years old, the farm in Delburn. Did, did, uh, did the old man give you some, some uh, leeway from the chores and you could watch the game? Yeah. You know? I, it was I, in Ottawa, so it was a night game. I, uh, during the World Juniors, I often get a little bit uh, extra leeway time. And being in the evenings, like I said, when it's actually yeah. in Canada, the time's lining up a little bit better. Um, that that one, obviously, right to the top of, of mm-hmm. mind, and, and that run of four straight gold medals um, was was spectacular. I remember the Jonathan Taves uh, shootout, uh, Carey Price yeah. in the net. That one uh, holds very firm in my memory. And actually, it's funny, though. Um, the f- When the tournament was in Edmonton and Calgary back in 2012, uh, I believe it was, um, 
I, I went to a game here at Rexall. It was Canada and, or pardon me, USA and Slovakia or Czech. Whatever nationality, whatever nationality Peter Mrazik is. Okay. Uh, he's Slovak, I believe. No, he's Czech. He's Czech, Sorry, Czech right? Czech, yeah, Czech. Czech. So uh, that was the game, and that was his kind of coming out party. He put on a clinic um, in the, the Czechs, upset the mm-hmm. Americans in the preliminary round. So that's um, a memory Mar- for you, yeah. Mrazik was uh, actually, like, made a shot at the empty net, which was kind of, like, right down where we were sitting. So we kind of, like, it, I mean, it missed, obviously. but it, uh, So that, that was something, like, in terms of my personal World Junior memories, actually being at a game in person was very, um, very cool and seeing an upset. It was great. Uh, I think John Gibson was in net for the Americans in the mm-hmm. middle of a great run for the the team there. And I'm in more recent memory. I mean, hey, what we've seen from Connor Bedard the past couple of tournaments, Mason McTavish is uh, you know knocked down on the goal line and then going back yeah. to the way Kent Johnson for the golden goal. There's there's no shortage of ones to choose from, but no. I think the Eberly and the Taves uh, two tournaments probably are at the the front of my memory because of my age at the time. That's when I was fully enamored with the World Junior Tournament. When the World Junior really started to take off, I believe was in the early 90s. In the late 80s, there were a lot of key moments. The punch-up in Piastani was <laughs> obviously a massive, massive uh, part of this tournament. That was in 1987. Chris Joseph was uh, a member of that team. We've had him on the show, <laughs> a, a good friend. And uh, Canada was up 4-2 in, in the in the second period of that game against the Soviet. And that was the Soviet Union still yeah. back then. You know, it yeah. wasn't Russia. Uh, the officials had to turn the lights off. And, you know, you had Theo Fleury going around suckering guys and things like that. Uh, the Soviets were already eliminated from metal contention. So th- this was a very, well, that's so what Canada was disqualified. Yeah. You know, it was a semifinal game. Uh, basically, it cost Canada at least a bronze uh, with the disqualification, so and they and what did uh, Chris Joseph tell us when he was on? They they banned each team for like basically just less than a year because the yeah. tournament was in the Soviet Union the next mm-hmm. year, so they weren't going to ban the host team or something. And it was uh, and I remember uh, Chris telling us about you know getting out of there um, and then having to, I think they yeah. said they stopped over in Switzerland or something. It was that's a, that's a great story. Uh, going back in the archives, it's a shame we had so many great ones that one didn't quite make mm-hmm. the uh, or missed missed the the cutoff line for our best of back at the end of December, but that easily could have been in the mix because that was a that was a great story to tell. So the, the the tournament started to get a lot of traction. It started to get, not that it wasn't popular before that in 88, 89, because there were so many great players that played in it. But in 1991, uh, it was in Saskatoon, and John Slaney scored a goal. And that's when I, I really believe the tournament started to go to the next level. It was 2-2 in the third period. John Slaney uh, was just a long point shot and it just somehow found its way through. Canada ends up at the top of the podium. But the crowd, again, now you're getting into the bigger buildings. That was a SAS place at the time. I don't know what it's called, Credit Union something now or whatever in Saskatoon. But at the time, SAS place was a brand new building. There were... NHL preseason games there in the mid-90s. It wasn't that far removed from when Saskatoon thought that the city could get an NHL franchise and Bill Hunter was involved in that and that was in the 80s and things like that. And Saskatoon was trying to be, you know, a bigger player on the world stage and the the, the national stage. And that night it was. Uh, Saskatoon was just wild uh, that night. But there's so many other. I mean, again, you mentioned... 
Jonathan Taves scoring about 8,000 shootout goals in North Dakota, and that was the best team assembled by far. But getting back to what we started off on the top, it just feels weird. It just feels like you're looking for something today. You're waiting for something at the World Juniors to happen. You're waiting for Canada to take to the ice and uh, have a great game and go on to tomorrow's final, and it's just uh, not coming. It's not 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 happening. Also last night, a couple of games of note, Edmonton Oil Kings continue with a very impressive road trip. Out West beat Kamloops 3-1, so the Oil Kings 4-0-1 on this road trip in Kelowna tomorrow. And that wraps up the, I guess, BC West portion of this trip. They've got one more on this swing when they kind of saunter back uh, this way and play in Calgary. Toronto, we mentioned uh, the big win against Anaheim, but Abbotsford... And the Condors played last night, 6-5. The Condors beat Abbotsford in a shootout. It went seven rounds. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue made 27 saves in the victory, but it went seven rounds. Uh, They were down three goals in the third period, Bakersfield. Uh, Lane Peterson scored a couple of times in uh, regulation, including the tying goal with 31 seconds left, and that uh, uh, sent the game to overtime and then the shootout. And uh, Raphael Lavoie, Drake Kajula, Brad Malone all had two assists. Uh, the Condors are on a bit of a roll right now. 5-0-2. Condors are on the road for the next two games uh, in San Diego tomorrow and uh, Saturday. Coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on a busy Thursday, and it'll be interesting and looking forward to this because it's just it's that time of the year when you're now, you know, the NFL's starting to pare down. We still got, you know, some playoff decisions to decide, uh, playoff seedings to decide. But pitchers and catchers report for the Blue Jays not long from now, next month. Ben Nicholson Smith from Rogers Sportsnet will talk uh, with us uh, right after the break. All things Blue Jays. Uh, GM Ross Atkins uh, discussed things with the media yesterday and uh, talked about Shohei Otani, how close it was, how disappointed he was. Ben Nicholson-Smith joins us right after the rink. Top of the hour, our double barrels with our hockey insiders, Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet and Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff at 8 o'clock and 8.20. We've got our ski report and game of the day for St. Albert Dodge. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Judy Batista from NFL.com. And uh, we will discuss the NFL playoff picture moving forward this week. Two big games. Uh, The big one is Miami and Buffalo, but the Duke will tell you otherwise. It is Indy and Houston. Also, and if you have a chance to look at this before this interview happens at 940, please do check the interweb. And Sam Ojehoetz, she's a Canadian artist, and yesterday she sent out a little bit of a post, and she basically did a, a picture of Connor McDavid after he scored... Well, she posted it. I don't know when she did it, but when he uh, posted his uh, nine, uh, 600 points in 900 games the other night. So basically she drew this picture with sticks, pucks. I saw a visor in the in the a hockey helmet, a visor. And the picture, the, 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 the artistry is just simply amazing. She's been drawing since she was uh, 13 years old. She's a physically disabled Canadian visual artist. Uh, so anyway, she uses sports equipment as paintbrushes. That's as simple as it, as you can say. So she studied art at Dawson College, and she's going to guess with us at 940. If you have a chance, 
Just find her on the interweb. It's on TikTok. Uh, we'll send out the sites and the links, uh, you know, as we move on uh, over the course of the morning. But so it's such a beautiful rendition. Uh, you've seen the picture around the celebration of Connor. Uh, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, picture. We'll have our in and out segment at 10 o'clock plus Adam surgery. Sherwood Park Crusaders as the crew get things rolling after the uh, Christmas break. Uh, Sherwood Park will take on White Court tomorrow and sit second in the AJHL table right behind Brooks. Uh, when we come back, Ben Nicholson-Smith will talk things Toronto Blue Jays baseball on the Kevin Carey Show right after the break. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Excited to talk a little Blue Jays baseball now with Ben Nicholson-Smith from Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, good morning, Ben. Welcome to Sports 1440. And I get how long can we say Happy New Year till? We had a couple days, are we done or what? Where are we at with that? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if I'm the one to make that decision. That's a big one. But uh, good morning to you and Happy New Year either way. Yeah, either way. We'll get to talk to you, Ben, for sure. And, uh, you know, yesterday, uh, Blue Jays GM Russ Adkins met the media or sort of and just discussed uh, what the state of the team is and most notably thoughts on Shohei Otani. Uh, how close do you think that the Blue Jays were to signing this guy? They were really serious about him. Um, they made a huge push organizationally to try to sign him. Obviously, it didn't work. But uh, whether they were close or not, that's a question for Otani and one that he hasn't shown interest in answering, um, at least based on his initial press conference with the Dodgers. But it's my impression that no one was closer than the Blue Jays. I mean, the Giants certainly pushed. Um, a lot of other teams would have wanted to be in that kind of final tier. Um, the Angels had some interest late. The Cubs had some interest late. But, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of the Dodgers, of course, who ended up landing him, it certainly seems that the Blue Jays were as close as anyone got to landing him uh, with a very competitive offer. And ultimately, they didn't get him. So there's no points for finishing in second place. But they had very serious interest, and it does seem that it was reciprocated. And even yesterday, you know, Atkins showed like he was disappointed. He thought that they really, you know, were sniffing around. And, you know, what would it have done for the organization? Holy smokes. I mean, you see already with the jerseys being sold in L.A. and things like that. I mean, this could have taken, you know, the franchise, uh, the city, the country to a whole new, uh, whole nother level. Yeah, I really think it could have. And, you know, it's it would have been a lot of fun to see that. It would have been a totally different experience. We would have seen dozens of Japanese media, we would have seen uh, all kinds of Japanese advertising at Rogers Center. It would have changed the entire franchise in a way that no other player would. Um, and Otani is just that special of a player. So we're, we're not going to get to see what that would look like now, of course, but it would have been a huge uh, game changer and the price would have been substantial. Of course, $700 million, much of which would have been deferred. Um, but it's, it's a really special player. You just don't see guys who can do what Shohei Otani can do when it comes to pitching and hitting at the same time. It's really incredible, and he's he's worth what he, he got from the Dodgers. Ben Nicholson-Smith, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, the Blue Jays did piece together a couple of uh, um, pieces to the puzzle for their team just around Christmas, and one of them re-signing Kevin Kiermaier. What did you, re- what did you make of that re-signing for the ball club? Yeah, I think the Kiermaier move makes sense. And, you know, compared to the Otani pursuits, compared to some of the lofty possibilities that have been thrown out there, everything's going to be disappointing. 
So there's no there's no comparison. Um, Kevin Kiermaier is a really really good player, Gold Glove winner in center field this past season. But at the same time, he's not Shohei Otani. So you know, understanding that, you kind of go to the next you know more you know normal tier of players, and and Kevin Kiermaier is a part of that, and he's a really good player who can help the Blue Jays keep runs off the board. We've seen that for his entire career. He's as good as it gets at going out there and just tracking down fly balls in the outfield, an incredible defensive player who still, even as he goes you know, into age 33, 34, he has amazing athleticism, great flexibility, mobility, and, and instincts out there. So you're talking about someone who can really help this team defensively, and he was a number nine hitter for most of last year. That's probably what he'll be again this coming season, although he did say he wants to hit for a bit more power. So it's a good pickup, but of course they need more than just one player. And they did pick up one more uh, just after the Kermeyer signing. That's Iser uh, Kiner-Falefa. He's sort of a, a player that has the ability to play all over the field, and the Jays have that already in a few players. But how does he fit into this ball club? Yeah, it's, it's a versatility add in the sense that he can play a lot of places. And so he's really good at third base. Um, he has experience at shortstop. He can handle center field if they needed him in left or at second base. That would be no problem. And he's even caught um, in the major leagues before, actually kind of extensively. And he's pitched. Um, You know, if you're up seven or down eight, you can put him on the mound for an inning and save your bullpen. So this is a guy who can help in a lot of different ways. He does not strike out a ton. He's pretty good on the bases. So he's a good player. Um, he's He's a really, really good bench player. And if you have to start him for a few weeks every single day, then you're fine with that. He's not going to be a number four hitter. He's probably best suited to be a number eight hitter on a really good team. Um, but that's okay. The Jays just have to go out there and keep adding um, because at this point they really need some more power than what they have right now. Ben Nicholson-Smith with us on Sports 1440. Covers the Toronto Blue Jays with uh, Roger Sportsnet. Ben, um, Cody Bellinger still kind of on the radar a little bit. Had uh, 26 home runs last year. A left-handed bat, which is so important for that Blue Jays lineup. How close? Where are they at? How much interest do they still have in Cody Bellinger? Well, I, I think any team would have interest in, in Bellinger just looking at his age. He's just 28 and his defensive skills and his offensive skills, of course. He can he can uh, avoid strikeouts and hit for power. So, I mean, that's a really, really good combination. One that saw him hit over 300 with the Cubs last year. He's going to get paid big money. And I think when you look at the Jays, even a few weeks ago, Bellinger might have been viewed as a better fit. But the, they were not going to put their entire offseason on hold to land Cody Bellinger in the same way that they would have in their pursuit of Shohei Otani. So they said, we like this player, but not necessarily to the point that they're going to wait around into January and see where he goes. So at this point, they've already added Kiermaier. Kiner Falefa can also play some center field. And of course, they have Dalton Varsho and George Springer. So the outfield is kind of spoken for. And I think under those circumstances, it would be a real surprise to see the Blue Jays go out there and sign Bellinger for the kind of money that he's uh, presumably seeking with agent Scott Boris running the show. So I don't think he's going to be a Blue Jay. Um, I think he's much more likely to be a Cub. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Giants or Angels get involved there, and hopefully he gets a really good deal because he's a really good player. But I don't think that's going to come from the Toronto Blue Jays. 
I think uh, Giants could be a team where he slides in in there. Good buddies with Jock Peterson. There's a chance that the two of them could be uh, reunited there. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith, Rogers Sportsnet, our guest on Sports 1440. Everyone knows that pitching is the Blue Jays' strength with Gosman, Berrios, and uh, Bassett, the big three. You say Kikuchi had a fine year last year. Where where do you think Alec Manoa is uh, after such a rough season last year? I, when he came out with an all-star season the year before, can he possibly regain what he was a couple of seasons ago? Well, if he could, that would be oh. so big for this team, right? I mean, we all saw what he could do on the mound in 2021 and 22. He was great. And so it was a really rough year last year, as as we all know. So it's it's going to be interesting. He's said to be in really good shape. I've seen some videos of him working at this offseason Looks like he's motivated. Looks like he's in a better headspace. He got married a few weeks ago. So, you know, he's had the chance to step away from the game a little bit, refocus, and we're going to hear from him when he arrives at spring training. It'll be really interesting to see what he has to say and how he frames what happened last year and what mindset he's in going into 2024. So I'm not sure exactly what um, what to expect, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that anyone really is, but we know that the potential is there. And when you look at the Blue Jays' depth chart, it's also pretty clear that they're going to be relying on him. And Mm. they're going to have an opening in that rotation for him. And barring a surprise, he's going to have the chance to take the ball every fifth day. Yeah, he's only 26 years old and, again, had such an incredible couple of seasons. And then inexplicably, as you say, fell off the map. And if he could regain anything close to what he resembled a couple of years ago, that that staff is all aces, baby. Uh, And again, you say Kikuchi had a great season last year. Do you think he can replicate that uh, next season? I think he can. Yeah, I think he can. I think he got into a really good rhythm last year where he was attacking hitters. Um, He took the steps that he wanted to. And by the end of the season, he was feeling a ton of confidence with where he was at. So I think he can replicate it. He's someone who works really hard. Um, we've seen the, the work ethic and the athleticism that he has come together with a, a really good mental approach. And I think that, you know, going into next year, he can probably give them 140, 150 mm-hmm. innings, ERA around four probably a lot of strikeouts. I mean, I think that would be a a really good outcome for the Blue Jays and a really good season if they can get that out of Kikuchi. Ben Nicholson-Smith, our guest on uh, Sports 1440. Uh, Just to stay with the pitching staff and the bullpen, uh, we all know what Jordan Romano brings, but uh, Genesis Cabrera came over from St. Louis, pitched very well down the stretch, but the one player that I wanted to talk about is uh, Chad Green. If healthy, how big of an impact could he have on this bullpen? I I think... I think you're right to point him out because, you know, Chad Green is a really good major league reliever, really proven in big spots with the Yankees and then briefly with the Blue Jays down the stretch in 2023. So considering this is a team that lost Jordan Hicks uh, from the bullpen um, and, and all of that velocity that he brings, um, having Chad Green is going to be really important. And I think they do have a good bullpen with Swanson back there, Cabrera, as you mentioned. You've got Meza also from the left side. Green, Romano. So there are enough Jimmy Garcia. There are guys who can help you navigate those late innings. Now, every team can always use more relief pitching, and the Blue Jays are in that category mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I think as a starting point, they're in a they're in a good spot with the bullpen, and Chad Green's a big part of that because you look at the experience and the velocity, and those guys aren't easy to find. 
Ben Nicholson-Smith, our guest on Sports 1440, the Kevin Carey Show, 732 in Edmonton. Uh, in the pipeline, uh, how close do you think Ricky Tiedemann is to making this team out of spring training? Or if he doesn't make it out of spring training, uh, how close is he to being a contributor this season? Yeah, I think he's getting close to being a contributor, and I think we'll see him in the major leagues at some point this season. Um, I don't think that will be opening day. I don't think that will be any time in the season's opening month. But starting May 1st, you know, if he goes to AAA and puts together a handful of good starts where he's throwing strikes, attacking hitters, repeating his delivery, and, you know, working behind the scenes, that that is going to catch the Blue Jays' attention. And he's going to have an opportunity because we all know that some pitchers do get hurt. And so there will be opportunity in that rotation at some point this season. You can't count on the same kind of health that they had in 2023. And there's not a ton on that depth chart. So the opportunity will be there for Tiedemann. And if he can pitch well enough to show the Jays that he's a a professional, major league caliber pitcher, um, build up his durability to the point that he can go 80, 85 pitches consistently, then I think that opportunity will be there for him at the big league level. Yeah, he has the mechanics, has the body type. He looks like he can get to that uh, level and get to that stage um, offensively. Uh, let's just uh, talk about Vladimir Guerrero. Last year had 26 home runs. He had 48 two years ago, so we've seen a drop-off there. But he's still hitting the ball hard, maybe just not catching it, uh, the brakes and, and hitting it to spots where the fielders aren't or over the wall. But... Where do you see him next year as far as production goes? And can he rebound to where, I guess, the power numbers were maybe not to two years ago, but at least to the season before? I think he can. And I'm not counting on 48 home runs from Vlad Jr. Uh, That might end up being his career year. But at the same time, he's definitely capable of more than what he showed this past season. I think when you look at just his strengths and his ability to make exceptionally hard contact with the baseball, it's hard to do that. And he pairs that with an ability to consistently make contact. He doesn't strike out a ton compared to most power hitters. So mm-hmm. you're talking about someone who can extend that bats, who can hit for some pretty good average, um, and who can stay on the field and who's a gamer. So I, I think there are a lot of reasons to believe in Vladdy. He's still pretty young um, compared to a lot of players in this league. And he's proven that he can hit major league pitching. So, you know, there's going to have to be an approach change, especially against sliders off the plate um, and breaking balls off the plate outside. That was a clear weakness for Vladdy. Pitchers caught on to that, and they just kept going with it, and he didn't really have a good adjustment. So some of this is going to come down to the Blue Jays, their game planning internally, making sure that Vladdy is on the same page with that message, understanding that this is how pitchers are going to try to attack him. He needs to lay off. It's easier said than done. These are the best pitchers in the world, Mm -hmm. and they put it right on that edge. Um, But at the same time, this is the cat-and-mouse game between hitters and pitchers, and it's going to be on Vlad Jr. to make that adjustment, and I think he can do it. Do you think uh, Russ Atkins can get an extension done with him? He becomes a a free agent, I believe, in 2026. How big of a priority? Obviously, it's a big one for the Jays. It's interesting. You know, I I think at this point, and Vlad Jr. now two years away from free agency, same timeline as as Bo Bichette, I think it would be hard to really get those sides to align on value and to really get on the same page as far as who is this player and what is it that he's worth 
um, for his for his future seasons. Because if you're Vlad Jr., you're going to point more to your prime, and his agents, I'm sure, would point more to the upside of a player who once did finish second in MVP voting and hit 48 home runs. But if you're the Blue Jays, I don't think you're going to want to make that kind of commitment to someone who has been more good than great. So I don't think that an extension is a priority right now because I think that both sides understand it's going to be hard to really reach that alignment on value. One last one for you, Ben Nicholson-Smith from Rogers Sportsnet on Sports 1440. With the Dodgers spending, well, well over a billion dollars in free agency and still probably looking to do some stuff here, um, where do you think the state of baseball is with, you know, the, the the big teams, the rich teams and doing what they didn't? Having said that, I mean, had the Jays landed Shohei Otani, they would have spent a billion dollars Canadian too. So uh, just the overall state of the game moving forward where you see the big clubs doing what they're doing, the small clubs doing what they're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see there being a competitive uh, problem in baseball, if that's what you're kind of getting at. I think that, you know, you look at a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks that reached the World Series last year, and that was a team that didn't spend a ton of money, had mostly homegrown players, and was still able to reach the World Series. And so, you know, there's opportunity for teams like the Brewers and the Rays and the Guardians uh, very consistently in baseball, um, we see those teams succeeding. Uh, smaller market teams like the San Diego Padres still find ways to spend a lot of the time and compete for some of those top players. So I think the state of the game is good. I think the pitch clock really was huge last mm-hmm. year to take away 15, 20 minutes off of each game. Um, I think was a great step in the right direction for baseball. And so, you know, it's it's not going to compete on the same level as the NFL or maybe even the NBA, but I do think that the sport is in a good spot and there's a lot of interest nationally in some of these top players and top teams. Hey, Ben, thanks for your time. Enjoyed talking baseball. What are we at? About another, what, five, six weeks for pitchers and catchers to report? Yeah, it's not too long, so (laughs) it should be fun. There's a lot of intrigue in the meantime, so we'll see what the Jays do, but thank you for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith, Rogers Sportsnet, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, getting set for another big season in the American League East. uh, had a tough go in the playoffs. There's no denying that. After an 89-73 and campaign, the Blue Jays last year just scored one run in that series uh, against Minnesota. The offense uh, just went dry, and then we all know what happened with uh, Jose Barrios being taken out after he was uh, throwing some smoke at the oak um, by manager John Schneider. So we'll see what happens with the Blue Jays uh, moving forward this year. When we come back, we've got a little open text time and some chat time with the Duke. Coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Welcome back to the big program. 744 in Edmonton as the Duke drills Diana with BA, his 740 staple. World Junior Championship. Sweden and the Czechs tied at one after 20 minutes. Mateus Malofsky opened the scoring for Czech. Theo Lindstein tied it. Uh, at the 11.52 mark for Sweden. So 1-1, Sweden and Czech. And we're just going to go with Czech. We don't want to get Laddie mad, do we? You know, there's no question. Laddie is upset that they went to Czechia. He says the whole country is upset that they go to Czechia. So we're just going to go with Czech. We'll do whatever Laddie says. Uh, Laddie is still off right now. He's actually, he came back from uh, Czech 
when did he come back? Two days ago, and then now he's in Vancouver with his hockey team. So Laddie, unfortunately, will not be with us today because he's busy out in Vancouver with his hockey team coaching his uh, kids out there. We'll have him back in the saddle on uh, next Thursday. Uh, also today at the World Juniors, Finland takes on the United States coming up in the second semifinal game, and then uh, Germany beat Norway 5-4. So Germany will uh, play in Ottawa next year. Excuse me. Uh, by the way, it looks like Minnesota will host the 2026 World Junior Hockey Championship. So interesting to see that. Uh, NBA last night, the Raptors with a big 116-111 win over the Grizzlies. Emmanuel quickly had 26 points. We were talking uh, about the Raptors the other day after the trade, and we were saying, man, if this guy can continue his progression, he could be dynamite, JJ, and provide the uh, Raptors with an outstanding uh, one-two punch, I guess, so to speak, with Scotty Barnes uh, in the backcourt. 26 points for Emmanuel quickly, 116-114. On the subject of basketball and Canadians, uh, SGA, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander, he's averaging 33 points right now for the Thunder, and... I believe on the season, less than two turnovers per game. And someone's going to have to, we might need Paul Sir to help me out on this, but I think this could be the first time that someone, or maybe it's the first time since maybe Michael Jordan, but could be the first time a player has averaged 30 points per game, obviously a long ways to go, and less than two turnovers per game. Pretty good. Pretty good stats. Pretty good. Uh, Oilers, again, with the day off yesterday, back on the practice ice this morning at 11 o'clock. The skills competition goes tonight at 7. So uh, the Oilers uh, will be kind of strutting their stuff in front of their fans tonight at Rogers Place. Dylan Holloway was sent down to Bakersfield for a conditioning stint. Did not play last night as Bako beat the Abbotsford Canucks 6-5 in a shootout. And then uh, also last night of note, the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings beat Kamloops by a score of 3-1. If you're wondering about Yessa Puliyarvi, a post sent out last night, Yessa Puliyarvi, the former Edmonton Oiler, in Pittsburgh on a professional tryout contract. Puliyarvi has been sent to uh, uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, for a conditioning stint. Uh, That is where he will kind of, well, I guess try to get his game Back on track. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. So, Duke, are you fired up then for your big Houston Texans game with Indy? We had a couple of texts come in that agreed with you. Says uh, Fat Efron, nothing, or that's you. I'm with the Duke. Houston versus Indy is the huge game. Go Texans. So, guy is on your side, Duke. This, uh, the Texans have been an exciting team this year when C.D. Stroud is in the lineup, uh, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, Case Keenum or Davis Mills under center doesn't bring quite the electricity to that offense. Um, I mean, it's a win and in game, basically. There, there is some other ways around, you know, if the Steelers can beat the Ravens. Um, Ravens will be icing a pretty light lineup, I believe, earlier that mm-hmm. day on Saturday. Um, the Steelers get a win and then some, you know, certain things fall their way. They can get the tiebreaker over Texans or the Colts. Uh and then on Sunday, like, the Jags play the Titans in another divisional game. If the Jags somehow lose that, 
And this game between the Texans and Colts is actually for the division, too. So there's a lot on the line for them. Um, I think for either team to get to the playoffs would be a very pleasant surprise for them this season. And even uh, whichever team comes up short, I think you can hang your hat on a pretty uh, pretty good year all the same. So I'm looking forward to it. I just hope uh, hope the Texans mm-hmm. play well. C.J. Stroud uh, you know, deals the ball like he has been pretty well all season uh, when he's been healthy. And stay and stays healthy. I think that would be priority. Winning the game would be great, but C.J. Stroud not, uh, you know, getting some sort of a significant injury or something would be, uh, I think, higher on my list of wants and needs for the game. I think it's safe to say that nobody was talking about your your Houston Texans as a playoff team at the start of the year. What was your bet again? I, was it seven uh, and a half wins? I, they, or they, s- the the main line on their win total, I think, was four or five, mm-hmm. uh, four and a half, five and a half. Uh, I took it over seven. And that was at about plus two fifty money. I think almost plus three hundred money. I have it written. I have it obviously in the book still. I can uh, check on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, it was just I was confident in this team. Um, new head coach. That's always a big boost. And a guy, a very respected and successful mm-hmm. guy, in D'Amico Ryan's coming over from San Francisco. Um, from what I saw from C.J. Stroud in preseason and all the reports from down in Houston, that combined with um, the excitement around Tank Dell and you know C.J. Stroud himself asking the team to go and get him later in the draft. Uh, and then, I mean, hey, Will Anderson Jr., the third overall pick, uh, now kind of catapulted himself into defensive rookie of the year conversation now, too. All that uh, goes into it. I thought they were a team that could surprise some people, and they might not you know, stop a lot of points, which has been very true, but I think they had a, a good chance to put up some points, and that's been the case. So, yeah, very pleasant for them. The Colts, they lost Anthony Richardson yeah. in week three or four for the season. The fact that Gardner Minshew's been able to lead them to this good of a record so far, I think, is very impressive because that's a team without a lot of like game breakers, right? Even Jonathan Taylor's missed five or six games. Pittman's so, a game breaker, though. He, he can. He, well, be. he yeah. he's a he's a very good player, but yeah. I don't think you're putting in the same conversation as you know Tyree Kill or oh, or, or AJ only, Brown or something. Only a couple of those guys, exactly, but. right? So he's he's very good. Do not get me wrong, but he's not quite in that upper upper echelon of of player that you know is uh, hands down the best on a squad. So the Colts and Texans both great surprises, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to Saturday night. The big game is Buffalo and Miami. I think there's no denying that. And uh, Buffalo's been coming on a little bit. Miami has been, well, they got just pounded. So, I mean, uh, last week. So, But Buffalo, in the sense that it seems that the Bills, you could say that they've sort of been winning ugly. They, I mean, that's a fair assessment. Uh, they've had stuff off the field that has followed this team around over the course of the season. But out of all of this... A win and they take the division. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and they were favored to win the division at the start of the year. Handily. They, they would have been right up there with uh, a couple other teams, Eagles, Chiefs, et cetera, as, as Super Bowl favorites, mm-hmm. let alone just to win their division. So it's been, uh, like you said, kind of an ugly road, both between the wins and some of the losses, uh, including right at the start of the season um, to, the, to the Jets. So all, all that to say that I think they're, they're back in a position that they're comfortable with, um, yeah. you know, you have your best players available, your game, your their version of game breakers, which are Josh Allen, uh, Stefan Diggs, even James Cook has looked very good uh, later on this year, which is a far cry from Buffalo of last year who couldn't run the ball to save their lives. Um, and their defense is is, is pretty decent as well. So mm-hmm. I uh, I like the Bills' chances. The Dolphins are a team I – it's weird because I have nothing – like I think Tua is a good quarterback. I think Tyreek Hill – probably should be in the MVP conversation. I think Mike McDaniel is one of the best coaches in the league. All this rolling into, I just don't really believe in the Dolphins. I don't either. And and losing Bradley Chubb is is, is huge. It's huge, right? That's massive. Uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday regarding all our talk about John Tortorella, et cetera, et cetera. And 
he sees both sides, but I think he sees the fact that Tortorella could have said, again, how we discussed it, you know, Connor McDavid, yeah, he had a great game. But I liked our resolve. I liked our team. I liked the way he could have said all this. And just the way he ha- handles the media. He brought up this point about years ago when Don Matthews, and I don't know if you remember this, Duke, Don Matthews was coaching in Montreal with the Alouettes. He treated the media so poorly, and I will never compare the CFL to the NHL. It is like if you're talking a 10 for the NHL, it's a one for the CFL as far as media, coverage, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. But the media was treated so poorly by Don Matthews, they just said, we're not going down to talk to him. We're not talking to him. That's it. So they did not cover the team. That'll never happen in the NHL. That won't happen. But that's what happened when a person bullied the media around, treated them poorly. The media got together and said, why do we want to come down there and be belittled by someone. All we want to do is our job. And that's the main thing. They just want to do their job. When we come back, top of the hour, Mark Spector, Frank Saravalli, Double Barrel Shotgun, Hockey Insiders. Before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update brought to you by First Round. Watch NFL football at First Round Saturday and Sunday. You could win a trip to watch your favorite team next year. Here is the Duke.